We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. We're continuing, of course, our study of Daniel's final vision. It's found in the book. And let me just show you something. This vision is very detailed. In fact, if you read it, if you've read ahead at all, and you said, you know what I think I'll do, I'll just read chapter 11, and you start reading chapter 11, you'll say to yourself, I wonder why I wanted to read chapter 11. Because there's so much in there, and it's so detailed, and it's things like King of the North and King of the South, and, that, and we go, I don't know. The vision is very detailed. It is the most detailed prophecies found in the Bible, because what's in chapter 11 is actually prophecies. It is so detailed that people who study the Bible, especially those who don't believe the Bible, say things like, it's too exact. There's no way that all these prophecies could have come true. So what happened is someone, after all of this happened, wrote it down as if it hadn't happened yet. That's what some people say. We know that Daniel chapter 11 gives us prophecy concerning the nations and the peoples that affect Israel. And we'll see in this chapter the, 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 what the Bible calls king of the north, king of the south, and whoever they are, we'll see they battle with each other. And the reason that it's in the scripture is because these people in their battles affected the nation of Israel. These prophecies go from the near future of Israel, the time when Daniel is writing, all the way to the end times, even to the one we call the Antichrist. And as we see a big overview of this chapter, because we're, going to, we're not going to hit everything, but we're going to see two different things. We're going to see the man called Antiochus, Epiphanes IV. We've seen him already back in some of the other chapters, but we're going to see this man again, and then we're going to actually see the Antichrist. We won't get all of that today because the whole chapter is, it's a long, long chapter, as you remember, as we read just a while ago. We just got up through about verse 35, but the chapter goes all the way to 45. We'll see how it fits together. As we look at this, you will say to ourselves, can you believe how perfect that is? How that whatever God said exactly came to pass the way he said it. So there's some great things. When people study prophecy, most people like it. They want, oh, I want to see this. I want to look at the book of Revelation. I like the book of Daniel. We realize that a lot of the Bible was prophecy when it was given. Prophecy is basically where God gives information about people or events before it ever happens. We realize that God is not only sovereign in control of all things, but he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We can trust his word. It is perfect and accurate. And when you read Daniel chapter 11, whether you realize it or not, every prophecy in Daniel 11, because these things all were before they happened in Daniel's life, he was told what was going to happen, and every one of them happened exactly the way he said it was going to happen. Let's think about prophecy concerning Jesus for just a second. Do you know there are over 300 prophecies connected with Jesus, both his first coming to the earth and his second coming to the earth? He came the first time to die. He comes the second time to reign. Let's think about prophecies for his first coming. Micah 5.2 said he'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be called the son of David, as we see in, in some of the Isaiah passages. He was going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. They would cast lots for his clothing. That's Psalm 22. It said that no bones would be broken. That's also Psalm 22. The Old Testament said he'd be crucified a long time before there was crucifixion. You understand, it says in Psalm 22 that they will pierce his hands and feet. That was a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And that Romans were the one that crucified, not the people that lived at the time of David and on. So, this, and then he would be entered Jerusalem, Zechariah 9, 9. He would come in Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Those all were prophecies of the first coming, and every one of them came true. And there's many, many more. I just put a few up there. Well, what about the second coming? Well, it says he's going to come in the clouds. He is. 
He's going to come to judge. He will. He'll come as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It says that he comes and separates the sheep from the goats. That means the believers from the unbelievers. It says he'll come to set up a kingdom. That's Revelation 19, 11. He will rule for a thousand years. That's Revelation chapter 20. He will place Satan in, a, in an abyss. That's Revelation chapter 20. He will judge at the great white throne judgment at the end of chapter 20. He's going to do that. He will rule with a rod of iron. That's Psalm chapter 2. And listen, every one of those prophecies, they're going to come true. Every one of the prophecies dealing with his first coming came true exactly. These are prophecies dealing with the second coming, and I guarantee you they will come true, every one of them, exactly as God says it. Because I want you to understand that every other prophecy that God has ever made has always been exactly fulfilled. So when, when Jesus said something, when God said something, when a prophet said something, when, when, when someone wrote down and said, this is, thus says the Lord, this is from God, any prophecy, everything comes true exactly right every time. You can trust the Bible. That's why when you read something and it says that over in Revelation 20 that he will rule for a thousand years as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I can guarantee you that one of these days when Jesus comes as the King of kings, he will set up a kingdom and he will rule for a thousand years as the King of kings. When we think of the book of Daniel, especially chapter 11, we find so many statements that are made concerning not only a near fulfillment, right, about just after the, Dan the time Daniel lived, but way even into the future. It is so detailed, and most of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. There's a few that haven't, and that's on into the future. So this morning, we're going to see it, and we're going to go really quickly through some of, the, some of the verses we won't look at. I've given you a handout. I'll talk more about this handout. I hope you got it when you came in. It says Daniel chapter 11, Daniel 11, 1 through 20. It's on both sides. Just hold on to that. We'll talk about it and more in just a minute. Last time we saw in chapter 10 that Daniel had been in mourning. Because the nation of Israel is now allowed to go back. Cyrus, king of Persia, had come to power, and he said that the nation of Israel can go back home, and only a small number went back. About 50,000 went back. And Daniel is sad, and right in the middle, an angel comes. And the angel says, I've been trying to get you. Daniel said he'd been praying for 21 days, and the angel said, when you started to pray, I started to come. But he said that another prince, another angel fought him, and he talked about the prince of Persia and Media and Greece and everything. And so what we realized last week, that there is a spiritual battle in this world, and there's one we don't see. Paul talked about in Ephesians, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And there is a spiritual battle going on, and it appears from the book of Daniel that not only is there a spiritual battle trying to affect believers and unbelievers, but even nations and rulers. And so that's what we saw in Daniel chapter 10. And so this angel comes and says, Daniel, I've been sent to bring you, uh, I've been sent to give you this information. Michael has been fighting, helping me, so I've now come to give you information. In fact, at the very end in chapter of 10, 21, he says this, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. This is God's revelation. He says, Daniel, I'm about to give you God's truth that you can know. And so as we get into chapter 11, 
and, and this section. Let me give you kind of an overview of 10, 11, and 12. We talked about it last week. Chapter 10 is the introduction for the vision. Chapter 11 is the main vision, and it deals with three parts. From the future, from Daniel right then, all the way to a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll talk about him in a minute. Then from Antiochus to the Antichrist, and from the Antichrist to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that's all in chapter 11, and then chapter 12 is the consummation, putting it all together, and then Daniel ending the letter. So that's what we're going to see. It'll take us several weeks to, to finish all this out. Let me show you chapter 11. Chapter 11 is four big sections. The first four verses, the emphasis is going to be Alexander the Great. We know who he is. He's listed already in his book two or three times. We'll see it. And then we'll see the conflict between north and south. And it's not the Yankees and the rebels. It's talking about the king of the north and the king of the south, and we'll talk about who that is in the Bible and how it fits. Then we'll see this man named Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. That's verses 21 through 35. That's actually what we're going to see this morning. We're going to not go into a lot of detail on much of it. And then next time, we'll see the man of sin, the Antichrist. And he's found in verses 36 through 45, and those prophecies have not been fulfilled. I want you to understand that all the prophecies from verse 1 through verse 35 have already been fulfilled, and they were fulfilled exactly as God said them. The prophecies in 36 through 45 have not happened yet. That's future. We'll see that. Well, someday we, might, we won't experience it because we'll be with Jesus Christ, but we may see how it fits. So let's look at it. Let me give you, I'm going to show you two things that's going to help you as you study this because you, uh, we're not going to read all these verses about kings of the north and south. So, two things. First of all, I've given you this handout. And if you take it in your hand and just notice that in each, it gives you each verse and it tells you who these kings are. So, if you're reading verse, say, verse 8, and it talks about a king, in verse 8 it says something, and their gods are something, and then this king will come do something like this. And when you read that, it'll tell you who that king is. It'll say it's Ptolemy, or say it's the branches, it's somebody else in verse 7, somebody else in verse 6. So, what I've done is gone through history and found these kings that fulfilled these prophecies. So as you study this on your own, because we're not going to go through every one of these verses, it'll tell you who these kings are. We're going to touch on the first four verses, and then we're going to move down a little bit. I just want you to see it. There's a second thing I want you to see, and that is these kings of the north and the south. The king of the north is called the Seleucids, one of Alexander the Great's generals. The king of the south is called the Ptolemies. That's in Egypt. This is uh, the modern Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greco-Macedonian empire. And so, here's Israel. And so what we see is when these people fight these people, and these people fight these people, right in the middle is Israel. And so all of these prophecies about the king of the north and the king of the south all tie in to the nation of Israel. And so we've given you that. Let me show you another map. This is even a, a kind of a better map. This is the Seleucid Empire. This is the Ptolemy Empire. The Ptolemy Empire was in Egypt. Seleucid Empire was what's modern-day Iran, Iraq, Syria, uh, that part. And there, of course, is Israel. And so what we're seeing is, as we read some of these verses, that the king of the north fights the king of the south, and king of the south fights the king of the north, and it all affects Israel, and that's what we're going to see. And we're going to go through that very quickly. So let me show you how this fits together. Four sections, Alexander the Great, the kings of the north and the south, Antiochus the fourth, and the Antichrist. That's Daniel chapter 11. Of course, we won't see it all in details, but let's begin. At the end of chapter 10, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. The angel is speaking in the beginning of chapter 
11 verse 1. It says this. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. That is an angel speaking. An angel says, I came to power. I came as an angel to protect Darius the Mede. The angel, of course, is the Michael the archangel. He is called the defender of Israel. He's listed at the last verse of chapter 10. Now let's begin to get the flow. Here's what he says. Now I tell you, this is verse 2, and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to rise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. And as soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. If you look on your handout, you will see that the the three kings who arise in Persia, if you look under verse 2, it says three kings of Persia, and it lists them. And it says the fourth king is Xerxes. You see him? He's named Ahasuerus. And the reason you've heard of him, he is the king in the book of Esther in which Esther risked her life to go see him. That's him. He is the king that comes through the, through the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's why we think of Esther as the queen of Persia. But then we're going to meet something else. After that will be another king. Look, a mighty king will arise and rule with great authority and do as he pleases. As you look at your handout, that mighty king is Alexander the Great. Now let me tell you, I I like Alexander the Great. And when I say I like him, I don't know anything about him in the sense that what his character, I know a little bit about character. I don't know exactly what he believed. Some people say he believed some good things. Some people say he believed some terrible things. His character at sometimes was amazing. At sometimes it was very horrible. But he was at 30 years old, he became the ruler of the world. And his father was Philip of Macedonia. That's where we get Philippi. That's where we get Macedonia. His, he was Alexander the Great. city named after him was Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, he, he, called him, he was called the Great, and he conquered the known world. And notice what it says. As a mighty, a mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. That's exactly what he did. But look at verse 4. As soon as he has arisen... His kingdom will be broken up and parceled out among the four points of the compass, though not on his own descendants, nor according to his own authority, which he wielded for his sovereignty will uproot and be given to others beside him. You know from history that when Alexander the Great died, his empire was divided to his four generals. And so he's broken when he dies, and it was divided to the four winds, divided to his four generals. It was not to his children. His children were killed. So when Alexander the Great died, it was divided up into four to his four generals. And I have a map for you to show you the generals. One took this area called Macedonia. One took Pergama. The other one became known as the Seleucid Empire, what we just talked. And the other one is Ptolemy, which went to the south, which is Egypt. So there they are. These two are the ones that fight all the time, and Israel's in the middle. So Macedon, Pergama, Seleucus, and Ptolemy, there they are. That's the four generals, and that's exactly what happened. Alexander the Great died. His sons had already died, in fact. His sons had been killed. And, in fact, it says not to his descendants because his sons were killed. And when his sons were killed, the generals took over. And I want to show you something. These next, from verse 5 to verse 35, covers nearly 200 years and many prophecies. And it concerns two of the kingdoms of the four generals that came after Alexander the Great. The northern kingdom was called Seleucid. The southern kingdom was called Ptolemy. And why are they mentioned in the Bible? Because they affect the nation of Israel and their battles involve the land of Israel. And that's what we're going to see. 
So I want you to see something. Look at verse 6, or verse 5. It says, Then the king of the south will grow strong along with one of his princes who will gain descendancy. And you start reading that, and you go, Well, who is the king of the south? If you take your hand out, it will say the king of the south is Ptolemy Magmus. He goes to Egypt. The stronger king of the north is Seleucus. So all you have to do, and we're not going to do it this morning, but when you study this or read this on your own, it will tell you every one of these kings. And let me tell you, every prophecy listed in Daniel chapter 11 came true exactly as it predicts in the Bible. So Daniel is getting information that talks about kings of the north, kings of the south, and back and forth, the rulers of Ptolemy, the rulers of Seleucid Empire, went back and forth and back and forth. Now what I want you to do is skip down to verse 21. Because in verse 21 through 25, the emphasis is the man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. You remember what he looks like? That's his picture on a coin. He was of the Seleucid Empire, and he was the, one of the most evil men that's ever lived. He lived, at, of course, at about 170 years before Jesus was born. And I'll tell you how horrible he was. He conquered the Southern Empire, which was the Ptolemies, and he hated the Jewish people. And he's called the little Antichrist of the Old Testament because he did many horrible things to them. I want you to look at verse 21 to see how he is described. In his place, a despicable person will arise, on whom the honor of kingship had not been conferred. But he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. He is described as a despicable man. Now, you know that movie, Despicable Me, the guy wasn't very despicable. But in this, he's despicable. He's a bad man. And it says it's not his kingdom because the king was actually poisoned. They think he may have poisoned the king, and he became the power in the, in the uh, Seleucid Empire. And it says that he will seize the kingdom by intrigue. He flattered people. He, got, he figured out a way that they would follow him as the king. And he came at a time of peace. There was not war going on. I want you to see, and I'm going to read this quickly, verse 22 and 23. The oven floor and forces we flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. After an alliance is made with him, he will practice deception. He will go up and gain power with a small force of people. That's exactly what he did. He took over. He did not have a large army, but he took over the Seleucid Empire. And then look at the next verse. Because in the verses 24, 25, and 26, he claims a time of peace. Here's what it says. In a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest part of the realm. He will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them. He will devise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. That's Ptolemy with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large army for war, but he will not stand for the schemes will be against him. And then he goes on and talks about he will destroy them. And so what happened, and let me tell you what happened. He had some schemes. Ptolemy was the ruler there. His son, this is Antiochus Epiphanes' son named Philopater actually plotted against the, the, the evil man Antiochus, but it didn't work, and Antiochus won. 
And he gained great victory. Look at verse 28. He will return to his land with much plunder. And his heart will be set against the holy covenant. And he will take action and he will return to his own land. Now what actually happened is Seleucid came down, conquered the northern kingdom, which was the Ptolemies, came back through Israel, killed a bunch of people, and then went back to the north. And that looks like everything's going to be okay because it's over. But it's not. Here's what happens. He returns. He took his victory and all this. He returns to the south, to Egypt. Look at verse 29. At the appointed time, he will return and come into the south. But this time, it will not turn out the way it did before. Now, you remember? In the way it went before, he went to the south. He defeated the Ptolemies. He came back and hurt Israel and came back to the north. He decides to go back to Egypt again and conquer them again. But this time it says, it will not turn out the way it did before. Here's what happened. Look at the next verse. For the ships of Kittim will come against him. Therefore he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. The ships of Kittim are the Romans. On his way down, and I'm going to tell you what happened in history... On his way down to fight the, northern, the southern kingdom, the Romans came under a king. His name was Populus. He, was, he lost to the Romans. That was the general. The Romans came to him and stopped him and defeated him. And then the Roman general came to him and drew a circle around him and said, If you get out of that circle, I will kill you. And Antiochus Epiphanes stood in the circle and didn't leave. And the Roman said, now you may go. Well, he was totally embarrassed. That's what it says. It says he will be disheartened and then he'll become enraged. And let me tell you why he become enraged. Because when the Romans defeated him, the Jewish people heard that he had been killed. And they celebrated. They said, yay, the bad man is dead. But he wasn't dead. And when he found out that they said, yay, the bad man is dead, he said, I'm not dead, and I'm coming up there to get you. And notice what the verse says in verse 30. He'll be disheartened, but he will return and become enraged at the holy covenant. And here's what he does. From the year 167 to 164 B.C., he comes to the Jewish people. He's called, he's called, this is the foreshadow of the Antichrist. That's why he's called the little Antichrist in the Old Testament. He stops the sacrifices. He sacrifices pigs. He puts up an idol of Jupiter. He came into the Jewish people. And he said, so you thought I was dead, huh? And he came in and he said this. Any little boy that's been circumcised, all Jewish boys were circumcised, he killed them and hung them around their mother's necks, and then he hung the mothers on poles. He said, if any copy of the Word of God, the Bible, is found, I will burn it. He found them and he burned them. He came into the temple at Jerusalem, knocked down the altar, put an idol of Jupiter, and sacrificed a pig on the altar. And then he began to kill Jewish people right and left. And they were running for their lives. And this was called an abomination. In fact, an abomination, desolation. Look at verse 31. Forces from him will arise and desecrate the sanctuary fortress. And he will do away with a regular sacrifice. And they will set up an abomination, desolation. That's what's going to happen. But in the year 166, 
a Jewish group by the name of the Maccabees, a man by the name of Matthias and Judas Maccabeus the Hammer. They were a family of priests in Israel. And one day, some soldiers of Antiochus came into the city and demanded they offer a pig on the altar. And Matthias said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And one of the Jewish people went to do it, and Matthias killed him. And then he killed the guy on the horse. And then his son, Judas, jumped up and killed another one. And before you know it, they started defeating some of those soldiers, and those soldiers ran off. And Judas Maccabeus said, let's get together, and let's whip these guys and get them out of our land. And all of a sudden, these Jewish people began to get into groups called, you know, guerrilla warfare, and they would sneak up on Antiochus soldiers, and they'd jump on them and kill them, and then they'd run off. And it says over a period of time, over a three-year period of time, they defeated the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes IV and ran him out of Jerusalem. And when they ran him out of Jerusalem, they went into the city. They went into the temple. The temple was in disarray. It had an idol of Jupiter on it. It had pigs been sacrificed. You know how Jewish people feel about pigs. So they cleaned it up, put a new altar in, and then lit the candle Lobber that was supposed to burn all the time. But they only had enough oil for one day. And they said, we got to light the candle even if it's going to run out. And they lit it. And it burned for eight days. And it was a miracle. And they call this the festival of lights. Which we call what? Hanukkah. So the story of Hanukkah is the story of Judas Maccabeus. And Matthias and his brothers and sons defeating Antiochus Epiphanes, the evil man in the Old Testament, running him out of Jerusalem and fixing the temple back and the candles burning for eight days. And that's why Hanukkah is celebrated eight days. It's on the 25th day of the month of Kislev in the, in the Jewish calendar. And this year, uh, the Feast of Hanukkah is, is going to be right at the end of November and the 1st of December. Sometimes it's really close to our Christmas. A lot of people get confused and people think Hanukkah has something to do with Christmas. It's never had anything to do with the birth of Christ. It has to do with the Jewish people defeating their enemies. They took back the temple. Many died in verses 33 through 35. I won't read that all that, but it says many will be killed. Uh, some of those who have insight will fall. Many will be granted help. It's, it's a terrible thing, but many fought and won, and they took it back, and they took back the temple. It lasted for three years, and in 164 B.C., the Jewish people took back the temple. That's the Feast of Lights, and that's Hanukkah. Now, I want to show you something. In those 35 verses, 130 prophecies were fulfilled. So when somebody says to you, well, I don't know of any prophecies, well, you can give them Isaiah 14 and Isaiah 7. You can give them Isaiah 53. You can take them to Psalm 22. You can go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You can do Zechariah 9, 9, but you can go to this one and say, just read that whole chapter because everything in there was fulfilled exactly as God said it would be fulfilled. There's one more thing I want to see this morning very quickly. Verse 36, because verse 36 goes to the future. Verse 36 has not happened yet, but it will. Notice what it says. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decree will be done. That king 
who exalts himself is the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says exactly the same thing. He will come and put his idol up in the temple and claim to be God. In Revelation 13 verses 5 through 10 and verse 15, he is the beast that comes out of the sea. We saw those verses. We'll see in more detail next week. Next week we'll start at verse 36 and go through the end of the chapter and we're going to see the future, future from us. And we're going to see the Antichrist comes. This is the one that's called the man of sin. So we've seen the vision, the future of the nation, the future one with the kings of the north and the south. We've seen even the future from Daniel when Antiochus Epiphanes came and how the Jewish people defeated him. And eventually, next week, we will see the future with the Antichrist. Future from us. Now, I want to say one thing because somebody asked me this one. Uh, I was talking about the, 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 the timeline and how, uh, you know, there's going to be the seven-year tribulation. And a person said, now, we're not going to be in that seven years. I said, no, no. Listen, so I want to make sure you understand. We're the church, the body of Christ. We have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, not to the earth, in the clouds. Revel, uh, 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 First Thessalonians says uh, that he'll come with a shout with the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain be caught off the face of the earth to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with the Lord. There's going to come a time, Jesus is going to come, it could be any second. There are no signs for the rapture. He could come at any second. He could come right now, and every one of us who know Christ as Savior, I hope it would be everyone. I hope nobody would be left in this room, but we'd all be taken off the face of the earth. After that is the tribulation. We will not have a part in the tribulation. The tribulation is the final seven years of the Jewish people that we saw back in the chapter 9. So I just wanted you to see that. Let me give you some applications and we're through. First is let's trust the Word of God. Let's trust it. Because it's true. That's what the, the angel said, I'm going to give you the truth. And it is true. All of the prophecies came true. The prophecies about Jesus' first coming, his death and resurrection. The prophecies about his second coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every prophecy in Daniel 11, you can trust the Bible. And with that in mind, then let's live by the Word of God. Let's take the Bible and say, whatever it says, I'm going to live by it. When it gives me instructions, it gives me truth. When it tells me how to live, when it tells me how to, how to, how to, what, what the message is, it tells me these things. Let's live by the Word of God. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharpening to the sword. It pierces as far as the vision of the soul and spirit, both of the joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. It never comes back void, but accomplishes its purpose. It is perfect. It is God's word. The second thing I want you to think about is let's rest in the sovereignty of God. Listen, God's working all events. We don't have to be afraid. That's some of the songs they sang. I think the sovereign song talked about we can trust him. We trust him with our lives. And we can rest in them because he works all things for good. And then last but not least, God's, let's understand that God's going to deal with the rebellion of man. There's never been anyone who went against God's chosen people, the Jews, and survived, including Hitler, including Antiochus Epiphanes, and one day in the future, including the Antichrist. God will deal with rebellion of man. All who believe, all who do not believe, there'll be eternal separation. All who believe have eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you have, you have eternal life. If you've not trusted in Christ, you will be separated. And it's called eternal separation. The Bible actually calls it the second death. Salvation is a gift by faith alone and Christ alone. It's not our works, our goodness. It is believing and trusting in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life.